Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the Book of Romans with this message entitled, Divine Diagnosis of Man's Problem. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 3. Now here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray, Heavenly Father. By your ordination, we are here. And we are here in your presence because you promised to be with us when we gather together in your name. Therefore, help us to see you, the glorious, majestic, compassionate, almighty God. Help us to come to you with all our needs and help us to come to you with praise and adoration. You will meet our every need. And our need is an intellectual one. Speak to us from your word that your word may do mighty work within us. We will hear your word. We will do your word. And thus we will walk in the liberty of the children of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to speak to you from Romans 3. Divine diagnosis of my heart. Divine diagnosis. We preach the word of God. The old ancient truth, the very word of God, absolutely infallible, inerrant, governing our thought and our life. No apology to anyone. We declare the will of God. That is the duty of a preacher. He is a herald of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. A man in Scotland was taking a walk one Sunday afternoon. He had a small leather bag with him. A couple of teenagers thought he had a camera in his bag and so asked him to take a picture of them. The man said he has already had in his possession a picture of them. He then took his Bible from the leather bag and began reading to them Romans chapter 3, which spoke about their sinful condition and the need of a Savior. The Bible is a mirror that reveals our sinful nature. And it also reveals our need for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The chief advantage of the Jews, we learned last Sunday, was that they were entrusted with the very words of God, the Old Testament. But many of them failed to believe in God's covenant promises, therefore failed to believe 
in the promised Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. So in Romans 3, 3 through 20, we are given a divine diagnosis of the sinful condition of every man everywhere, both Jew and Gentile. So this morning I want to declare to you the divine diagnosis of our heart problem. It's sinful condition, it's sinful conduct, and the cause of this conduct and the conclusion. First is our sinful condition. In chapter 1 and verse 28, we discovered that fallen man. Maybe he's rich, maybe he's a king, maybe he's highly educated, it doesn't matter. The fallen man, though he has knowledge of God and his will from creation as well as from his own heart, designed by God in such a way that man knows God and his will. Yet he refuses to live according to the knowledge. He exchanges truth for a lie. In judgment, God gave him over to an noon, a depraved, twisted mind. Such a person always prefers lie and wickedness to truth and righteousness. He lives by the philosophy of atheism. The fool has said, in his heart there is no God. So wrath of God is being revealed against man, against his ungodliness and unrighteousness. Against the sinner who always suppresses truth in wickedness. The sinful man is filled. Filled with what? Let me read to you from chapter 1, verse 29. They have become filled within every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and so on. Filled. And in Romans 3, 3 through 8, we see how the twisted sinful mind of the Jew is at work. Paul asks several questions. These questions, no doubt, were put to him by Jewish hecklers when Paul was preaching the gospel to them in different places in Asia and Greece, Macedonia and so on. And what are these questions? Number one, look at chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Does the unfaithfulness of the Jewish people nullify God's faithfulness to them? See, they were entrusted with the word of God, but they refused to believe the word of God. Therefore, they refused to embrace the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, does 
the unfaithfulness of the Jewish people nullify God's covenant with them? And the answer is what? Not at all. Not at all. The failure of man can never nullify or frustrate God's eternal purposes. God's fidelity is not measured by human fidelity. God's faithfulness is ultimately to his own person and promises. Friends, God's ultimate concern is for his own glory and not even for our blessings. So he says, let God be true that is reliable. Though every man become a liar. It means God is always reliable. God is always faithful. God can be trusted in spite of all the sin and unfaithfulness of all the peoples of the world. And Paul cites Psalm 51 and verse 4 to prove this point. David sinned against God as he sinned against Bathsheba and her husband. And God judged David. And in his judgment, David acknowledges that God was right. And God prevailed in his judgment against him. Though God punished David, as we read in 2 Samuel 12, 9 through 12, he remained faithful to the Davidic covenant. He did not fail to keep his covenant with David. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 5 and following. Listen to what David is saying. Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? David's salvation depended on God's keeping the covenant with him by sending the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So David's wickedness did not make God to be unfaithful, but his wickedness bring, brought out God's faithfulness in greater luster and glory. In other words, David's unfaithfulness proved and established God's faithfulness. The second question, verse 5 and 6, the heckler asks a second question. Paul, you are saying in effect, my unrighteousness is bringing God's righteousness more clearly. My sin is establishing God's righteousness. Is not then God unjust in bringing his wrath on me? See the depravity of the mind. When I sin, I am doing God a favor. His glory shines brighter in the dark background of my sin. I provide the dark background. Therefore, God's glory may shine more brightly. So, God should not punish me, but really thank me. The heckler, the antinomian, is making the popular point 
and justifies the means. My sin glorifies God. Paul says, if your argument is right, then God cannot judge the world because every man's sin is bringing God's glory into greater luster. Here Paul enters, echoes a fundamental Jewish belief that regarded Yahweh as the eschatological judge of the whole world. Every Jew believed that God will judge the world. But when they said the world, they put Gentiles. And they were therefore exempt. So Jews believed this, yet they thought they were exempt from this final judgment. They thought God will judge the world of Gentiles. But if human sin brings glory to God, then how can God judge even the Gentiles? That is Paul's argument. Of course, he rejects it. No, God is holy. He must judge every sinner, Jew or Gentile. So the assumption of the heckler is invalid. The end does not justify the means. Now he asks another question, essentially the same. Verse 7 and 8. If my lie enhances God's truthfulness and so increases God's glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? In other words, Paul says, let us do evil that good may come. Paul refuses to answer this question from the person of twisted mind, except that he affirms that God's condemnation of you is just. Let me tell you, friends, man's mind, because of the fall, has become twisted and depraved. And you cannot understand reality unless you believe in creation fall and redemption unless you read the book of Genesis from the beginning depraved mind twisted mind this condition explains the antinomian questions of the heckler and so in verse chapter 3 and verse 9 he concludes all people are under sin Paul has been proving this point that everyone is a sinner, beginning with Gentiles. He makes that point from Genesis 1.18 through the end of chapter 1, the Gentiles are sinners. And then chapter 2 verse 1 through chapter 3 verse 8, he proves Jews also are sinners. No difference. The condition of every man is he is hufhamatian under sin what does it mean it means he is under the power of sin sin is the master of man sin is personified man is a slave of sin he cannot get out from under the dominion of sin Paul is speaking then of the universality of sin. 
And turn with me to the book of Genesis, which I believe is the very word of God. If you don't like it, too bad. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And it speaks about three things that sin is not external but internal. Sin is pervasive and sin is continuous. This is called total depravity or pervasiveness of sin. And Jeremiah says in 17.9, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Nobody can. Only God can know it. This is therefore God's diagnosis of human heart. Or turn with, you, with me to the book of Mark where Jesus Christ says sin is not external, uncleanness is not external but internal. It's a problem of heart. Mark 7 verse 21 For from within out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And go home and read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. That will tell you that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And we are under the rule of Satan. Everyone, everywhere is a sinner. There is no exception. There is no difference. That's why I like the Bible. That in the seminary, the famous seminary I graduated from, they told me that when you stand and preach the gospel, there will be professors and doctors and all the civilized people listening to you. But don't worry, they all are sinners. They must hear the gospel that they may be saved. And I like this book because it doesn't show favoritism. It levels everybody. Everyone is sinner. All are sinners, all have sinned. The Bible discloses the sinful picture of every heart. Paul gives ample proofs from the scriptures to prove the point of our depravity. He cites six scriptures from the Old Testament. Psalm 14, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, and then Isaiah 59. And he cites these scriptures and that's the proof. He doesn't have to do anything else. The Jews understood the scriptures are final authority. And so, take a look at chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, and then he cites these scriptures. First, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
In other words, there is no one upright in thoughts and life. God demands perfect conformity to his law. But since the fall, all have become twisted, crooked in his mind. J.B. Phillips, the Bible translator, he says, No man can justify himself before God by a perfect performance of the law's demands. Indeed, it is, that is, the law is the straight edge that shows us how crooked we are. And this is the reason, friends, people do not want to read the Bible. And every theologian and higher critic or lower critic who criticizes the Bible and points to its errors reveals what the Bible affirms, that you are a sinner. You cannot tolerate what the Bible has to speak about you. And if you are not reading the Bible, that's the reason. No sinner. Somebody said, this book will keep you from sin. Or what? Sin will keep you from this book. I'm not speaking about reading the Bible so you can criticize it and tear it apart. And sound very scholarly and educated. No, Pastor Matthew says you are saying all that because you are a sinner and you hate the Bible that exposes your wickedness. You don't like it. I would say this is the reason we should read the Bible, that the Bible reveals who we really are. Don't we go to the doctor and, and we want the doctor to diagnose our problem so we can be healed. And so, we must read the Bible, will tell you exactly what your problem is. But the Bible not only tells our problem, it also tells how we can be saved. So I would say, this is the reason we all should read the Bible. It alone reveals our heart's terrible, wicked condition. No man, he says, is righteous. Dr. Martin Lord Jones says, the best man, the noblest, the most learned, the most philanthropic, the greatest idealist, the greatest thinker, and I would say tinker also. Say what you like. There has never been a man who can stand up to the test of God's law. Drop your plumb line. And he is not true to it. This is why we should read the Bible from the beginning, from Genesis on. Second, no one understands. And yet everybody is going about and telling he understands everything. He's an expert. And we want to listen to expert. But the only expert is God, and he has given us his truth, the Bible. No one understands. No exception to this. It is universal. And because of the noetic effect of sin, 
No one understands God and no one understands man and no one understands creation. No one understands even a flower. No one understands, sir. Without knowing God, you cannot understand a thing. No one. Man sees truth as lie and lie as truth. How come man denies God, the infinite personal God? Man lacks spiritual understanding. He believes, therefore, in a closed system where God is not permitted. He is a Sadducee who denies resurrection angels and spirits and creator and redeemer. Who denies a heaven or a hell. Who denies an eternal judgment. He is an irrational materialist. He believes in evolution but not in creation. He has become a fool. The natural man does not understand things that are spiritual. They are foolishness to him. They make this man. The spiritual things make him fume and fight. Even now maybe you are fuming. Natural man is not wise. He does not fear God. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Let me read from Ephesians 4. And beginning with verse 17 to tell you what God is speaking about unbelievers' mind. Ephesians 4, beginning with 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The emptiness of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual last for more. Speaking about American culture. Or turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Where St. Paul tells us in verse 4. The God of this age. That's the devil. And I believe in a devil. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. Why do you think people hate the Bible and hate Jesus Christ? Because they are blinded. Darkened in their understanding. They are under the thumb of the devil. Number three. No one seeks God. Not only his mind is twisted. So is his will. He will not seek God. That is the true God. The triune God. The God. Father. Son. And the Holy Spirit. God of the scriptures. Of course he is a connoisseur. Of religions. False religions of idolatry. Demon inspired religions. That God abhors. He will not worship and obey the true and living God. He worships creation, demons and trees and snakes and bulls and birds and man. He has become an enemy of God. As we read in Romans 5 verse 10 and 8 verse 7. Natural man is an enemy of God. 
Number four, it says, all turned away from God's path. Again, notice, no exception. No exception, sir. All turned away from the way of truth to the broad way of lie. Every man is on the way to hell. The way of the wicked shall, what, perish. And when you study it in the Greek, it means all turned away deliberately. Deliberately. I don't want truth. I don't want light. I don't want to know what my problems are. I hate it. That's the idea. And Isaiah said this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. What a wretched condition. Number five, together become worthless. Notice, no exception. Universal, every person, every man. Everyone has become worthless and useless to God. And the word used is this. They have become like milk that has gone sour. The other day my wife brought some coffee. I like coffee in the morning with milk and all that. And she brought without any milk. I said, what's wrong? Is there some milk here? And what was her answer? It, uh, the milk went sour. That is the word that is used. They have become like meat that became rotten. Useless to God and useless to everybody else. Yes, through God's common grace, man can still do some civic good. Go to the moon and discover new medicine and so on. But in things that matter ultimately, he is worthless and he is useless. Second, let's look at the conduct. Number six, none does good. Not even one. But people parade their self-righteousness. And Isaiah saw it and said, all our righteousness is like filthy, stinking rag. And St. Paul improved it. And he said, all our righteousness is like dung. All works done by a sinner before he trusts in God are called dead works. Done for his own glory, not for the glory of God. A good work is done by a saint, by a believer, for God's glory. And the Bible says in Luke 16, 15, what is popular is what? abomination in the sight of God. And you remember in 1 Samuel 15, Saul went and fought and came back and, and he got up early in the morning and what was he doing? He was building a monument for himself. That tells you in terms of all what unbelievers do for his own glory. Throats open grave. He's quoting from Psalm 5 verse 9. Stench comes out of them. It's like a grave that is opened up. You read in John 11. Behold he stinketh. Don't open it. Stench will come. And that's the, the throat 
of a sinner stench. Or it means they eat people. Or they bury people. And out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaks. They emit stench and they destroy people. Number eight, their tongue practice deceit. Psalm 5 verse 9. It simply means they lie continuously. And they use flattery to get their way. I say parents lie, philosophers lie, politicians lie, professors lie, pastors lie, advertisers lie. If you don't believe me, listen to the politicians. Every day they get up and say, what lie I should say today? To fool you. Every four years, every two years, I have heard it all. These are all liars. I'm fed up with liars. And you hear the lie of evolution, global warming, global cooling. Man is good, all religions are the same. Oh, lie, lie, lie. Sinners are deceived and deceiving. And especially deceive people by words. Think especially of preachers who preach heresy, falsehood. Such as salvation without repentance. Isn't that wonderful? Great God is nice. You know, you don't have to repent. I know you don't like repentance. So I just took away repentance and gave you salvation. Justification without sanctification. Faith without faithfulness. God who is love but not holy. Jesus is Savior but not Lord. Let me tell you, in my view, lying preachers are more dangerous than lying philosophers or professors. Number nine, poison of vipers under their tongue. That comes straight from Psalm 140, verse 3. Look at Job's wife. Isn't, isn't she wonderful? And what did she say? It's just, honey, curse God and die. That is real poison. Aimed and targeted to kill you. We use tongue to kill. Let me read to you what this eminent doctor Lloyd-Jones says about this expression poison of vipers under their tongue he says this is a very fine description in a zoological sense the adder or viper which is so harmful and so poisonous has the poison concealed in a little bag at the root of the lips this little bag is under the upper jaw of the adder close to some fangs which lie in a horizontal position. When the adder is about to pounce upon a victim, he puts back his head. And as he does so, these teeth or fangs drop down and he bites the victim. As he is biting with the fangs, one of them presses the bag that is full of poison and into the wound is injected this venom, this poison that is going to kill the victim. So the Bible gives an exact scientific description of how the adder kills by means of poison. Every word is aimed to kill you, to deceive you. And I have heard people saying all kinds of nice things. 
I believe them because I'm supposed to believe people. But I found out they are killers. And they use the flattery and everything else to kill you. So what happened? I stopped trusting people. <laughs> Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10 verse 7. Number 11, their feet are swift to shed blood. That's their conduct. Isaiah 59, verse 7 and 8. History of the world is a history of killing, murder. The devil is behind all murder. Turn with me to John chapter 8 and verse 44. Listen to Jesus. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Ruin and misery mark their ways. They are like tsunami, hurricane, cyclone, earthquake. And you see them coming and going. And they have destroyed people. Destruction and misery are behind them. History of kingdoms and civilization is a history of ruin and misery. Number 13, they do not know the way of peace. There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, the man. Let me tell you who is outside of Jesus is a man without peace. He is restless like the waves of the sea. Number three, the cause. What is the cause of this misery and this sin, that this wickedness? Here it is. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 2 says, There was a judge who did not fear God, nor men. When you don't fear God, let me tell you, you will fear everything. The fool says, in his heart there is no God. So all deeds of the wicked are done without any God consciousness. It is fear of God that keeps you from sinning. He who fears God shuns evil. Look at Joseph who said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? The fear of God kept him. Look at Daniel. He will not sin. Look at the three Hebrew children. No way. We will not bow down and worship this image. They feared God. And above all, Jesus Christ. In temptation, he always feared God. And the Bible says, Spirit of the fear of the Lord shall be upon him. Holy Spirit causes you to fear the Lord. David said, I have set the Lord before me. Therefore, I will not be shaken. In other words, he is saying a God-conscious life. I have deliberately set the Lord before me. 
and he governs my thought and my word and my deeds. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This does not mean every sinner is as bad as he could possibly be. It means no action of a sinner can ever receive divine approbation. Even the best actions of a sinner is done for his own glory most of all. Warren Buffett, I suppose he gave $35 billion. Is God impressed? He is not impressed. He does it for his own glory and his own reason. Can he come to God and say, I gave this money away, therefore justify me? Absolutely no. Jesus understood and called people this, a wicked and adulterous generation. And finally, the conclusion is this, the law speaks to those who are in the law. Verse 19 and 20, that is in the sphere of the law. And if you have a Bible, the Bible is speaking to you. The Jews were given the Old Testament. They were in the sphere of the law. The Gentiles were given also revelation of creation. Also the works of the law written in their hearts. So every man is under God's law. Every man knows God. Yet he refuses to glorify God and give thanks to him. And he exchanges truth for a lie. And worships creation. The law speaks to us. It says the law speaks to us. The word of God is living, oracles of God in the word God is speaking to you and to me. Do we hear him speaking? And what is the purpose of the law? It is every mouth may be stopped. The picture is you are in a courtroom of God. God is the judge and you are the defendant. And you are given time to speak and you don't speak. Mouth is shut. He has no defense. Your mouth is stopped. He knows he's guilty as charged. That's what's going to happen when we face God. And then it says the whole world is accountable to God. Every man is under divine judgment. Every man is without excuse. And look at Romans chapter 1 verse 20. It says this. For since the creation of the world. God's invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature. Have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made. So that men are without excuse. Every mouth stopped. In chapter 2 verse 1. You therefore have no excuse. The Jewish people. And chapter 3, verse 19, says the same thing. Every mouth is stopped. And whole world is under divine judgment. Guilty we are. Everyone is guilty. Guilty before God, sir. This is, friends, the divine diagnosis. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. For no man observes the law as God demands, because every man is a sinner. Remember Luke 18, verse 9, and following the Pharisee, stood and prayed to himself. He paraded his self-righteousness. He went home condemned. 
He was saying to God, I have no use for Jesus Christ. I have no use for the cross. I save myself. And he went home contempt. And there was also St. Paul. Boy, he was parading his righteousness. Concerning the righteousness of the law. Perfect, he said. And then God apprehended him and found out his righteousness is dung. Filthy rag. The law, friends, contempts us. Away from me, you evildoers. And Psalm 103 verse 2 tells us no one living is righteous before God. It is impossible to save myself. Then why the law? There it is. What's its purpose? Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Friends, it is the mirror. That's why I read this all the time. It is a mirror that shows my problem, my sin. It doesn't give us forgiveness of sin. It doesn't justify us. In fact, the law makes worse, not better. The law reveals sin. The law condemns sin. The law aggravates sin. It is a mirror that shows dirt in our place, but it cannot wash our face clean. We need Christ Jesus to make us clean. And the law points to Christ, the Savior of the world. The law is the straight edge that shows how crooked we are. Jesus alone can make us straight. There it is, the divine diagnosis of our heart. Its condition, its conduct, its cause and conclusion. Man cannot save himself, no man. Is there any hope for a sinful man? That's the question. Is there any effective medicine prescription for a sinner? Can I obtain a new heart? Let me tell you, we can. We can. That's why I like the Bible. It not only shows my problem, it also shows the remedy. And chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 gives us the prescription, the medicine. I am the Lord who healeth thee. That's right. Hallelujah. And so Paul says in chapter 1, Verse 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. Hallelujah. And you can have it by faith. You can have it, sir. The publican simply said, have mercy upon me, a sinner, even whom justified. The thief from the cross said, remember me. Essentially the same prayer. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus came to seek and what? Save. It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Thank God, friends. God in Jesus Christ taken us out of the dominion and the power and the mastery of sin. And placed us under grace power. Under Jesus Christ. So we go home. We all go home how? Justified. Walking. And leaping. And praising. God. Heavenly Father we pray that you help us. To open the book. 
and read it. Lord, show us our sinfulness. And then show us the Savior who took upon himself all our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you for saving us. Hallelujah. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you for setting us on the pathway of righteousness leading to eternal life. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of the sermon entitled Divine Diagnosis of Man's Problem. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.